Välkommen till Freuds Toolbox, skolans inspirationspodd med fokus på känslor, relationer, lärande och ledarskap. Tillsammans med Kenneth Freud får du inspireras av och lära av nationellt och internationellt ledande experter på evidensbaserat lärande och ledarskap. Hi everyone, today we will talk about uh, leadership and organizations. We will talk about what uh, school leaders especially need to succeed with running a school to success, to good study outcomes and hopefully staff that enjoys working in the same place for a long time. And that is uh, a challenge, uh, is uh, my opinion at least. And today we have uh, three experts in the area from different parts of the world with us. And I will let them introduce themselves. And let's start with uh, Lee. Please welcome Lee. Okay, uh, I'm Lee Bullman and I am a uh, well semi-retired uh, professor of management. Uh, actually been teaching organization and uh, still am still enjoy it and still find the kinds of questions that Canada is raising around leadership leadership and education uh fascinating and I'm delighted to be here okay thank you and then we'll let Jenny okay hi I'm Dr. Jenny Donahue and I work in schools and districts across North America and in other locations across the globe Um, I really try to improve the quality of professional learning and collaboration in schools so that we can realize improvement in student outcomes. And one area of uh, interest for me is collective efficacy in school. So I'm excited to be here as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and next, I'm not sure about pronunciation, so we'll let you say it yourself. Sure. Yeah, my name is Jervis. Is in nervous. Jervis. Okay, thank you. And Jervis Bush, and uh, I'm the professor of leadership and organization development at the BD School of Business, Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada. And um, I have had a lot of different experiences working in organizational change and leadership development, and I've had an opportunity to work in a couple of school situations, which are and unique in my experience. And happy to talk about what I think about that. Okay, great. Thank you. And then we will get started. Uh, something I thought a lot about and talked to a lot of colleagues about uh, as a principal, of course, every principal wants to succeed with their school and be successful and have uh, uh, staff that enjoys working there and works there for a long time and good study results for the kids. And A number of principals succeed pretty well, but a lot of them who succeed as well don't have so much balance in life. So it would be interesting to have like principals that are successful with their schools and at the same time have a life outside the school as well. 
I know in Sweden at least uh, many principals they love their job but a lot of them new principals they sort of quit being a principal before less than three years and that is mm. not sort of a, a nice trend uh, so you should find sort of a, a balance in it so I'm interested if you have some thoughts about firstly of course how to succeed with the school from an organizational point of view, leadership point of view, and uh, if possible, is it possible to combine with uh, having a healthy life as a principal? Part of, in the U.S., I, I think part of the issue, I had a doctoral student who did a thesis where she compared the life of a principal in the U.S. with the life of a principal in Japan, and uh, the differences were dramatic. The U.S. principal was there at 6.30 or 7 in the morning and greeting people. Uh, in Japan, the sort of norms were the principal didn't come until everybody else was there and nobody else could leave until the principal left. Uh, and there was a general sense that their job was to make the principal's job re relatively easy. Uh, whereas in the U.S., I think the norm is that the principal is, if the principal isn't doing everything, uh, uh, nothing will happen and so load onto principals leave them uh, they love they tend to love their jobs although they often late in career they often burn out uh, but they are burdened so they may be they do a combination of sort of leading and serving I, I you know Ronnie Heifetz has a great line of yeah. It's called give the work to the people. People need to learn to be better at. You, uh, how do we give the work there to the just as you started into what he said, so we didn't get to hear it. Um, yeah, I'm, I've got a bad connection today. Not not most days, but today. Uh, I said Ronnie Heifetz, Ronald Heifetz uh, has this line, give the work to the people. And I think in many cases, principals need to be better at giving work to people around them so that they're not as burdened. Mm. Mm. Yeah, here in, in Vancouver, it's a little different, I think, because teachers unions are very strong and there's a history of acrimony between the union, the teachers, the administration and the government, and particularly the teachers and the government. And um, uh, teachers don't do anything other than what <laughs> contract. What the contract says. <laughs> yeah. And... And t and principals have very little authority, really. Um, there's not much. They, they they live in fear of pissing off the teachers because then things will get worse, uh, which I find is is kind of common in public sector organizations. Is that the managers don't have a lot of authority and they spend a lot of time worrying about how to just make sure people are are happy enough that they'll actually get the work done. Um, so. Uh, but the, you know, in terms of, I don't know what the retention rates are here for principals, and if people start and then they give up and quit. I think by the time someone, typically they they come through, they were a teacher, and then they become an assistant principal, and then they become a principal, so they know what they're getting into um, yeah. before they get into it. But uh, it's it's not an easy job. And I think if we're talking about distributing leadership, I think in some places teachers are willing to step up 
despite the contract and the contract, you know, they're, they're willing to take on additional responsibilities in my experience, as long as they have, you know, trust in their principal and they respect their principal and um, the relationship has been built. And so I think that that's an important aspect from the principal's perspective is making sure that they show care for their teachers and build those relationships so that, you know, you could have somebody desire to do something for you, I guess, in some cases. Yeah, of course, trust makes things work smoother then, but how do you build trust in the organization then? Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah. think, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say the little bit of leadership development work I've done in the school system, we focused on something I call appreciative leadership, which is focusing on what you want more and then looking for it as already being there and finding ways to amplify it. And I think that was always like, like principals would really embrace that as a way of that made sense for them and how they could be effective in the context and what they were working in. So, you know, appreciative leaders see the potential see the possibility in people and processes, focus on that instead of what's not working, what they don't like, what they don't want more of. And, you know, the I know the, the I'm trying to remember the name of the guy, the study, the Pygmalion studies, where, you know, in education, like like people grow into how they're seen and held. And, um, and that seems to be particularly true in education. And um, So learning to develop that kind of an appreciative mindset and step away from a deficit mindset is, I think, one of the most useful things that a a principal can do if they don't already do that. Yeah. I think part of what the conversation is pointing to is that, uh, and some, some principals come into jobs that are not so hard and others come into jobs that are almost impossible. Mm. And part of, then what really matters is a, there's a question of the alignment of a particular principle with this an understanding of what he or she's up against, uh, and the capacity to provide the kind of leadership that could move things in a uh, positive direction. Mm-hmm. Some do, some sincere, don't. Yeah. And as Jenny was saying, like that sincere caring for the other, I think in school systems in particular, that because you know it's 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 a labor of care, uh, teaching really, and if you don't have, if a principal isn't perceived as someone who cares about people and cares about the students, I think it's hard for them to establish any authority. And I have a concern sometimes when I work <clears throat> in schools where principals are new and they're hesitant to jump into the work of school improvement because they say we need to establish some trust. And so they want to hold off on, you know, really digging too deep into the work of school improvement. My concern about that is I, I agree that trust is an important component of the work that we do, but I think that it's more of a an outcome or a positive consequences that occurs through that difficult work of identifying some challenges and and determining together some solutions. So I think that trust isn't necessarily a a necessary precondition to the work, but it's more of a positive consequences that grows out of our collaboration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I hear trust, I'm always reminded of the master sergeant in the army said, you know, (laughs) when a new leader shows up, you look him in the eye and you go, 
does he know what the hell he's doing and will he have my back? Like, <laughs> oh, I think that's that's kind of what everybody does when a new leader shows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but how do you do then? I mean, I I come from the sports area before I worked a long time in school, but uh, I like to use sort of words from the sports environment. So I like to sort of have for me my my staff team is like a, like a football team or anything. I will like to have a sort of a a game plan for the team and and find a way to make everyone sort of like it and we could develop it together but we need to sort of work for a long time in the same direction and sort of have the the team understand it and works the same way have sort of the same view of reality so to speak and but it's not always really really easy but that, that's sort of what i think it's important but mm-hmm. how how do you accomplish that in an effective way when it works uh, it's it's fantastic but it's i think it's multiple levels and it part yeah. it part depends on the situation uh someone once said that any effort that doesn't begin with teaching and learning probably will never get to teaching and learning uh and i think there's truth to that uh but i also think that the uh the the relationship that if it particularly with a new principal how does that principle what's the image in the minds of teachers that that principle creates uh and at a simple level does the principle convey that i'm on your side uh if teachers get the impression that uh this person is on our side there's a much better chance that they will have some trust and want to work if they don't get that impression uh it's going to be a long tough road Yeah. And part of how to do that is by identifying the things that people care about and focusing the conversation on that. Like, you know, to your point, Jenny, but let's do something. What do we care about here? What do we need to improve that we're all sort of agreed? We need to do something about and then do something about it. Um, You know, you brought up kind of um, football. Yeah. And there's a very popular TV show here in North America called Ted Lasso. I don't know if it's if it's hit where you are, and yeah, it's about it's and, and the first season of Ted Lasso is a master class in appreciative leadership. Mm. Like and the stuff I've written about the appreciative self and appreciative leader, he does all this. Like I wanted to find out did they read my book? Like, like, and, and it, it's just for <laughs> anybody who wants to know how you transform a group by focusing on what you want more of and seeing the best in others. It's quite quite a stunning show. And in describing that in, in the context of a, of a British football club, mm-hmm. that's a bunch of losers to start with. Yeah. I'll have to watch it with that lens. I'm a fan and I just finished season three. Yeah, and so now that you put that lens on it for me, I'm going to rewatch it with that in mind. Um, uh, yeah, I, I was thinking too the idea as you were talking around how does that leader do that? And I, I think part of it is being vulnerable. And I think, think Ted Lasso shows a lot of vulnerability in his leadership. And by by admitting we don't know all the answers and that we're learning alongside and, and just being honest about admitting mistakes sometimes too, I think goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, true. And uh, how can all of this be accomplished uh, sort of within office hours then? 
how do you sort of get away from serving all the teachers and maybe I think it's it's quite possible to do it in a short time if you just lead but if you will do everything for everyone uh, it maybe take more time that is possible in the long run uh, I mean one thing that matters is do you have a sense of big picture and do you have a sense of what where where do I really need to focus my time as opposed to feeling like I've got to manage every detail. Some managers, some principals get get lost in the specifics of which there is an endless uh, array of them when you're a school principal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the ability to really need to focus on spend yeah. my time where it matters most. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think that's for every leader is like learning how to how to leverage others, how to let go of stuff, how to how to work with the willing, all of that. Yeah, um, how to more do what's important rather than urgent. Then, not mm-hmm. not always easy, but important though. Yeah, yeah. In in your audience, Kenneth, what do you think are the sort of key issues for them? I think key issues for principles that is to to sort of be proactive rather than reactive and mm-hmm. f- find ways to find ways to 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 have balance and do things that that works i mean every every principle works really hard but uh, not everyone is successful man is quite successful but to what cost Mm-hmm. They should uh, should be learning how to do things that works at a reasonable mm-hmm. cost. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think a lot of what leadership is about is conversations. It's the nature of the conversations we're having. What are we having conversations about, and how yeah. productive are those conversations? And um, in the work I did in the Vancouver School District, we really shifted the conversation. Uh, away from the conflict and acrimony to what do we know about learning? And and like one of my favorite quotes from David Cooperwriter is that organizations move in the direction of the questions they most persistently and passionately ask. And, um, and so, you know, what I would ask a principal is what do you, what are the questions you're asking of the people around you and how consistent are you in that? And, and is it and are those, are those the important questions and are they uh, the questions that other people want to be engaged in conversations around um, and i think the conversations that are most productive are the ones that focus on not trying to figure out what's the problem who's the blame what went on in the past but rather focus on what do we want what inspires us what are our aspirations where are we trying to go here um, yeah. and that would be my number one piece of advice is figure out where you want to go and start asking questions about that, engage people in those, in those conversations as much as you can um, and find ways to fan any, anything that, that is moving in the direction you want to go in, find ways to and notice it, recognize it, amplify it. Yeah. And that, that works with problem people that works for processes that works with students, works great with students. Um, and people live into the image we have of them. 
So how do you see goals playing out in schools? Because what you just said made me think of identifying and um, coming to some consensus or some shared goals that really mean a lot to us. And so how does goal setting come into play when we think about that, the work we're trying to accomplish and in the conversation that we're having in our regular routine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, as a, I, rather than goals, I, I, I prefer to see that, talk about purpose. What's our, what are we trying to do every day here? You know, goals tend to be this like, like targets, but they're, if they're good goals, it means there are ways of accomplishing our purpose. But goals narrow things down. Whereas a purpose, there's a lot of different ways to accomplish a purpose. There's usually only one or two ways to accomplish a goal. Um, and so what I like about purpose is it opens up the field for more emergent, innovative kind of activities. So, and and it could be the purpose shifts occasionally. Like and Yeah, I would agree. Because I think an important converse. Go ahead. Go ahead. Please leave. No, uh, I was going to say that uh, the kind of conversation I think that's much more helpful is is a conversation about what would make this school. To repeat that. Feel really successful. Feel, uh, what kind of place do we want to be so we can feel as if this is really a great school and we are really doing important work? And that some principals will ask questions like that. I think your idea of asking good questions is a powerful one. Uh, other principles are just not used on there. In some cases, particularly uh, a lot of them, partly because of the situation, and get, wind up getting focused on the uh, administrivia stuff, the the details, the structural stuff, um, and uh, you can't ignore that, but by itself it's not gonna really get you where you want to go yeah and the other thing that happens is that people get caught up in the couple of problem people and so much time and effort goes into the problem people like and my advice would be if you can ignore the problem people ignore them like Mm -hmm. uh, focus on focus on what's aspirational Uh, Sometimes you can't ignore the problem people that like. Um... If you're a principal, one kind of problem person that's hard to ignore is the teacher who triggers problem parents to uh, that right. challenge. Yeah, you 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 reached up right there when you said the, the, the problem teacher. person that you can't ignore is, and then you froze. Like, what is what is that person? I think he said something about problem parents, where the teacher that brings the problem parents into or causes parents. Oh, yeah, if you have, yeah, teachers who get parents thinking, "Oh my God, something's wrong. Uh, my child, uh, yeah, uh, true. my child is not getting uh, or what he or she needs, or mm-hmm. or has the right to get that support, or uh... is getting the wrong thing." Uh, and I mean. One of the things you can you can see we've seen it in particularly in big districts where there's lots of schools and people and so on is that part of what principals good principals are, are very aware of is find the good teachers let somebody else have no it doesn't help this the somebody who's not as good at that they wind up with the less able teachers but uh, if you wind up with difficult teachers who simply don't bring what it takes it's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
So from a, a, a sports perspective, you should sort of use when you have an opportunity on the players market when it's it's open to you and you can sort of get the right person, be good at recruiting the right persons. Yeah, it's it's hard to win. You know, both levels are important. It's hard to win unless you've got talent. On the other hand, you can lose with talent if you don't have teamwork, if you don't have a group yeah, of people exactly. who know yeah. where they're trying to go yeah. and know how to work together. That's yeah. true. As a parent, I've run into principals who think their job is to protect their teachers from the parents and mm. principals who think their job is to engage the parents as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I got to say, as a parent, I sure like the second type more than the first type. I'm not sure how the teachers feel about it, but I know in the school where uh, I felt like they really made an effort. It was part of the school culture to really engage parents and do that in a continuous and, and highly structured way. I, I, I would have been surprised if they were having many problem parent issues. Um, like, and I would think like that would be one question I would be curious about. Any principal is like, what, what do you see as the role of parent? What, how do you want your parents to be showing up? Uh, and how important are they to the, what goes on here on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, yeah, as a principal, I don't expect parents to always be able to help their kids doing schoolwork, even if some can. I think that's the role of ours as a school. So I'm happy if the, the parents can sort of support them and make them feel that they can learn sort of... Uh, try to be enthusiastic and just be supportive to them so they they get self-confidence encourage mm -hmm. them and be there for them and make things which works with like so they sleep and they eat and mm -hmm. they rest and don't sit all the night playing video games or computer games then I would be really happy with that that's <laughs> more than enough <laughs> But in the school where I thought they did such a fabulous job of this, like one of the things that went on was every teacher had a website that a parent could go into and see what the plan is for this week, what the kids yeah. are learning, what they're supposed to be doing at home. Um, there was all sorts of touch points where parents could volunteer to be engaged, be providing their expertise or something else. It might be in sports or it might be fundraising or something like that. It was, it, it really had a sense of being a community. Yeah. And there was another school that was the exact opposite. I was like, it was like yeah, every interaction with the school was like, stay away, you know, oh. we're putting up boundaries yeah. and we don't want you mm -hmm. around. Like, I'm sure they had a lot more problem parents. Yeah. Now, I wonder why the difference between those two schools, does it boil down to the confidence of the leader, you know, wanting to keep things maybe nervous to expose some of the things that are happening in the school, um, you know, even lacking that confidence to challenge some teachers and feeling the need to protect them. Um, and, and how do we ensure that we build that confidence in our school leaders to be able to have those difficult conversations, both with their faculty and their parents mm -hmm. Um, this is very complicated. And I guess, you know, somebody mentioned Ronald Heifus, uh, Lee did, and I think of the, that adaptive nature of this work, it really is an adaptive challenge. And I don't think there are any clear cut 
answers, but definitely some learning to do around that. I, I think that it's a good point. And part of it, I think, goes to both the training as well as the coaching and mentoring that principals get. To what degree do they think my job starts and ends with the school, but I'm, I'm a boundary manager. I, I need to be conscious of the, uh, not only what's inside the building, but also the context around the, the building, the community, the, the superstructure above me and the parents and so on. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, really, I think it's a really interesting question that every principal needs to decide for themselves is, you know, what what are my priorities? What is my role here? What's what am I here to do? Um, and I'm imagining there's some principals who imagine that they're want to focus on curriculum and you know making decisions about that. Others that more about school culture. How do we build the culture we want to build here? Um, so on and so forth. Um, and I don't I don't have a point of view on what's right or wrong about that. But I think it's good to to know. Be yeah. pretty clear for yourself as a leader what it is that you're there to do and then you know to find allies and to you know make sure that the people you need to support you to do that agree with you and uh, and, and they're going to support you in doing that mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and and partly i think that too is going to depend on the context and and what are the big challenges mm -hmm. if if you're in a school where people are having trouble just getting the resources they need then they're going to be really happy if the principal created if the principal doesn't help them get what they need uh in other districts other schools you got a different set of issues and that's that's not you know they're they have plenty of resources they need other things yeah and that's very true i got like a like a school district like vancouver is so diverse you know everything from upper middle class to immigrant communities where you have 23 different languages and um, and yes. indigenous students and poverty and it's it completely different. And I think it's up to the superintendent to, or the, the higher administration to do some wise moves around who they put into principal roles in those different yeah. schools. They require completely different kinds of leaders to be effective. Mm -hmm. Right. And just your mention of 23 languages, that's that's real, uh, particularly in an awful lot of uh, urban districts. Mm -hmm. And it's one sign of the complexity. You know, if you go back 60 years or so, uh, schools, districts just plopped the kids in and taught them in English. Uh, you know, if you can't do English, sorry. Uh, uh, that's no longer the case, but that's a more complex job. Yeah, and and I think in Vancouver they still you know plop them in as English. It's, it's communicating with the parents that becomes incredibly complex because a lot of cases the parents can't speak English. You know, uh, flyers have yes. to go in fifteen different languages and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, mm, that is a challenge for us. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things we found works, regardless of where it was, is a more appreciative approach to any sort of thing like. So we did a series of appreciative inquiries in the school district here that engaged 
teachers, parents, students, and really transform the culture in some of these places by getting people. And, you know, because part, I don't know what it's like in other places, but in the school districts around here that I've been in, there's a lot of cynicism, right? Mm. And, um, and so anybody comes along and says, we're going to do something different. We're going to try something new. They immediately run into this. Oh, flavor of the month. Right. Doc, it'll go away. Yeah. Uh, I've seen. Yeah. This movie before. <laughs> so you, you froze all through that. Lee, what was it you were saying? I, I was just re echoing what you were saying that people often they've seen so many change initiatives that don't last partly because they weren't well thought through but also in many cases the leaders don't stay long enough if a if a superintendent only stays three three or four years in a big district there's there's no way you're there long enough to really make a significant difference yeah yeah so but you know, cynicism, like in my experience, is, is a, a place people put themselves into to avoid taking on a worthy purpose that will inevitably fail. You know, and there's just there's just there's this idealism that exists in any cynic. And if you can get to that, if you can get to that, it's something magical can happen. Um, I think, yeah. But you know, it takes a well-designed change process and one where there's a lot of there's real sincere backing and. You're going to put resources into it. And you're going to make you're going to make a real attempt to do something. Um, the Vancouver School Board here did something around Indigenous education at the time. I think the graduation rates were less than twenty percent uh, for Indigenous students, and we did we used an appreciative approach to step in and try to shift that set of relationships. And part of that was working with the community as well. That was a big piece, and uh, and 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 things really moved things really shifted and when teachers began to believe that there was a real sincere effort here to do something different they really got engaged and uh created new curriculum involved leader elders from the community would come into the schools or teaching kids how to make totem poles and stuff like that it was like it um so the possibilities are there and and it's it's very gratifying to me to watch what happens when the cynics and the cynics start to believe that wow shit could really happen here um it's uh you know things light up they just do i think i've had similar experiences and you called it appreciative inquiry and and one of the the, the way we've described it in the schools that i've worked with in ontario is a collaborative inquiry but i think it's very similar to what you're describing and i have often um witnessed real shifts in people's beliefs um, about what they're capable of doing, what kids are capable of doing. And I've seen that design, like you said, it, you know, it's a well-designed change process. I, I've seen that really help to um, turn those uh, one or two strong voices that are uh, the, maybe the cynics into, you know, to have them become more optimistic and more involved and, and, uh, really shift their beliefs about what's possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's some of the greatest acts of leadership is, is to inspire and to provide hope. Like mm -hmm. if you don't have hope, nothing useful is going to happen. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. But, but yeah. if you can make that change, then 
it's uh, interesting but if you have a principal that wants to make that change but have no clue how should they do it do you have any guidelines or recommendations oh, yeah. yeah yes buy my book on the dynamics of generative <laughs> change yeah, okay yeah. on all yeah. amazon markets right yeah yeah <laughs> i got a book to sell too called reframing <laughs> reframing the path to school leadership uh oh okay yeah. awesome <laughs> which actually it a uh, new principal arriving in a new school and taking on the challenges of leadership there so uh they both sound very interesting yeah yeah give us yeah. some give us some insights good I think, um, the piece yeah, well we both like our books <laughs> <laughs> the piece around hope and inspiration i think that principals need almost i, I i'm hesitating to say this but it isn't on my mind but I, I think it might come out as sounding ridiculous i think they need models of that like what does that really sound like almost mm. scripting it for them I, or at least they need time to figure out how to script that message themselves they mm. need to think about when that message is delivered how it's delivered to whom it's delivered and what it really sounds like i think that's where people might need some help some help around the hope message mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the thing I, I've been researching right about something called generative images, and it's this, and the dynamics of generative change talks about that in some detail. But it's like, it's like find, putting together two word, a couple of words that point to something that we hadn't thought about before, um, but opens up a space for a different kind of conversation to take place that never took, happened before, and it has to point to something people care about, but haven't talked about it, like never thought about it that way. And um, and it attracts folks into those conversations because it sounds, so my iconic um, example of that is sustainable development, right? Before the term sustainable development showed up, environmentalists, business people had nothing to say to each other. And and really, and, and when that phrase showed up in 1987, it so powerfully transformed the landscape that Greenpeace Canada almost dissolved over the internal fight that started as after 15 years of screaming, listen to us, listen to us. And all of a sudden business government, everyone turned to them and said, okay, we're listening to you, what should we do? And they went, eh. and and then it was like, well, do we join the boards of companies and certify their greenness and their processes? Or do we trust these bastards at all? Or do we stay, you know, in, a, in an adversarial role? And, and, you know, and you look at it, it's just two words that just got plopped into Right. And yet it's so shifted. And even 25 years later, it's still it's still generating innovations. And one of the reasons is because you can't define it. Right. So one of the one of the qualities of a good generative image is it's 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 in the it's it's ambiguous enough that people can project what they want into it and use it to, to have a different conversation. So I've been really paying attention to I think every transformational change I have been able to study has inherently a generative image in it of some sort. And in my work as a consultant, that's what I, one of the first things I do with my client system is go, well, let's figure out how do we frame what we're trying to do here in a few words that's gonna capture people's attention. It's gonna be a compelling to them and attractive. And yet it's not something we've ever talked about before. Um, that's my biggest piece of advice around that. 
So you make me wonder what is that generative in image that will create that conversation in schools for well, our- I think it's different in every one. Like every like it's very unusual to find something like sustainable development that works all over the place. Usually it's very contextually specific. This time, this place, this group of people, this image works. It wouldn't work, the same image wouldn't work somewhere else. Um, and I could tell you lots of stories of different places where the, you know, but I don't want to think of all the time. But I mean, it's uh, it's a I think it's a powerful and, and it's useful to take the time to figure out what that is, I think, for anybody who's really trying to create a transformative conversation. So do you have um, a reference or a resource that you could point us to if I wanted to learn more about that? Just Google Jervis Bush generative image. OK, you know, you'll find more stuff than you want. OK, that uh, sounds good. Yeah. That Lee sounds very much like working with a symbolic perspective in mm -hmm. in your book and the way you are described this way of working, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, it is. And that idea, well, the idea of framing and finding a way to encapsulate what are we really about here? in a way, uh, Jervis is right, it has to be aligned with us, who we are and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And it has to provide us a sense of, okay, that helps us really understand where we're trying to go, what it is we're trying to do. Some leaders are good at that, others, uh, are not at all good at it. Yeah, or just even to know that that's something worth doing. Like, yeah, I think mm -hmm. uh, yeah, right? it's it's really worth doing. It's really worth spending the time and effort to figure out what that is. And it, there's an art to it. It's not like you can just, you know, say, oh, let's get together and spend half an hour. We'll come up with a good generative image. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. some people are better at it than others, though, no doubt. Right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So Jenny, you're gonna to have to take off. I do. Yeah. My apologies. I have another yeah. meeting. But you have like one minute left, right? I have one minute left. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, this is a um, really interesting talk to listen to. I think for all the principals in Sweden. But if you, as a final word, you should give some sort of, if you would inspire a new principal, or could be an old one as well, of course. Uh, what would you advise some just a sentence or something to that they could think on reflect or get inspired by i'm reflecting on what i heard from lee and jervis and i i love the idea of figuring out what matters to you most and who what kind of leader do you want to be and um using that as a checkpoint i guess or a, a way to um, make decisions, kind of come back to those questions. Who who am I as a leader and, and what matters to us? And um, letting that just kind of guide, finding your purpose, I guess. Okay, thank you so much. I think we'll do, could we do the same with, with Lee and then Eros? Would be interesting to hear your perspective.
for your guidance. Okay, hopefully I won't break up too many times. Well, one thing that we haven't talked about a lot that I would yeah. I was thinking of, uh, Ken, and I was wondering, do you have or have you had really good mentors? Uh, I think for principals as well as for teachers, mentorship is really vital because there is a, a complexity, there's subtlety uh, to the work and to the circumstances in which you do the work. And if you can find a good coach, uh, someone with whom you can develop a, a really strong relationship who really cares about your success, uh, that can be a hugely important asset. You know, part of what differentiates uh, good leaders is they learn. Uh, they're eager yeah. to learn. They look for ways to learn and, and they keep Nobody's very good as a principal the first day. Uh, very few people are. Uh, but if you keep learning from the people around you, but also from good coaches, you're your chances improve. Totally agree. Nice words. And then you get the, the final words in the whole discussion and the whole talk. Me? Yeah. Well, I think any leader, the first thing they got to do is listen. Yeah. That's their first job. Spend a lot of time listening yeah. and asking questions and, and getting to know the people that you are now the leader of, if you don't already. Getting them to know as, them as people and find out what, what matters to them and what's going on and what they think is important. And, and before you start telling people what your great idea is, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Listen. Listen. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah. Pleasure. And then thank we... you. Nice meeting you, Jenny. Nice meeting nice you. Nice, nice meeting you. All. Nice meeting you, Jenny. Jervis, nice meeting you. Kenneth, good seeing you again. <laughs> good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night.